Hey, it's Paul here again. Just a quick reminder that today's episode is one of our very first episodes that we recorded and released, and it's before we started using immersive storytelling techniques like sound design and music and narration. Now, of course, the story itself is very powerful and very relevant to today, but if you enjoy those types of elements like sound design and narration and music, then make sure to listen to some of our newer content that we've released as well. And now, on to the show. You know, I'm thinking I'm a Christian. Everything should be should be good. Should be rosy, peachy keen, right? And Christians shouldn't have problems. And I had read the book Tortured for Christ. These guys are getting beaten up for being Christians. And so I had this this conflict in my life, and I realized that my faith is the one that was wrong. Hi, I'm Paul Hastings, and you're listening to Compelled, real people telling true stories about God's compelling love working in their lives. I'll tell you more about Compelled and share a sneak peek of our next episode right after our story. Our guest today is Steve Cleary, who is a young man developed an interest in missions early on. After Steve experienced several seemingly failed attempts to be involved in missions, God opened doors for Steve to become the very first employee at Voice of the Martyrs. I hope you'll enjoy hearing Steve's very unique journey into the mission field. I'm sitting here with Steve Cleary, who uh, has a super interesting background. Um, Steve, would you mind just introducing yourself and telling us about your past? I've always had a, a draw towards uh, towards faith and towards God and my destiny. And I grew up in a Catholic family, but we, you know we were Catholics because we went to church uh, on Easter or or on Christmas, and and that was about it. We didn't practice anything in our homes, but I just had this sense that I wanted to know. I wanted to know about uh, God and eternity and destiny, and I remember uh, just praying that God would bring me a Bible that I could that I could read. I didn't even have a Bible to read, and I started asking God that um, my parents would go to church. And about six or eight, eight weeks later, they they sat me and my brother down and they said, "We're going to church, you know. And would you like to, if you'd like to come with us, you can." And wow. they were going to they were going to kind of a community. Um, uh, evangelical church, and it was not of any particular denomination. And I remember going and starting to go to youth meetings and starting to learn more. This time, I'm 12. Um, at 12, I thought I was kind of too young to commit my life to Christ, so I waited for my 13th birthday, and I committed my life to Christ on my 13th birthday. And as as, as I got older, and and I stayed in the church I was in when my you know when I moved out of the house, I remember uh, being at my being at a house fellowshipping, it was actually my boss, my boss's house. I worked at a sign company, and he gave me this book, and it was about Christians that were persecuted for their faith. And I said, I'm not going to read that book. He was like, why? And I said that that book doesn't glorify Christ. Suffering is not glorifying to God. Hmm. Suffering is, you know, I'm thinking I'm a Christian. Everything should be... Should be good. Should, should be, be rosy. peachy keen, right? And... Christians shouldn't have problems, you know, and, and uh, everything should be easy. And these guys are getting beaten up for being Christians. So, I mean, why don't they just pray? Why don't they have faith? Why don't they believe? And it's it was really what I believed at the time. It's like, I'm sorry they're being persecuted, but something is missing. That doesn't line up with the doctrine I've been taught. That mm. doesn't line up with the life I'm living, and that doesn't line up with the belief system mm. that's, been in, that's been embedded in my life and in my Sunday school class and, and in my church discipleship group. And so I said, I'm not gonna read the book. And my wife said, I'll read it. And she 
she brought the book home and she read it and she said, Steve, you have to read this book. It's not what you think. And I said, I'm not. I'm not going to read it. Um, and I just wanted to return it. The book was out of print. Um, there wasn't like Amazon wasn't around and the local Christian bookstore didn't carry them. And at the time I had this big white dog, a Samoyed uh, named Quincy and Quincy decided to read the book. <laughs> so I found it on the floor with teeth marks in it and drool and dog hair. And this, again, this is my boss's book. Yeah. It's out of print. And I'm thinking, great. Not so, just a friend. This is your boss. This is my boss. And uh, I take it to the sink and I take the washcloth, the wash towel, and I start wiping off the dog's rule. And I read, a, I read a line and I read another line and I read a paragraph and a page and I didn't put it down until I'd read the whole book. And I told my wife, I says, this book's not what I thought. She goes, I told you. Uh -huh. like, and I couldn't, I couldn't get it on my mind. I couldn't forget it. And I had read the book, Tortured for Christ. I brought it to my church. My church was was actually had the same uh, belief that I had previously, that if you're a Christian of faith, you shouldn't suffer. Hmm. And so suffering is not glorifying to God. And so I had this, this conflict in my life. And I decided the only thing to do was to reread the Bible. And so I had read a bunch of different books now on persecution. So after about six months, I was committed to read a book a week on a missionary that had served outside of America or somebody that had uh, experienced persecution. So I went through about 26 books and I said, all right, I put all the books aside and I reopened my Bible and I reread the New Testament very carefully word for word. And I found out somebody had switched my Bible. This was not the same Bible I had read for for 10 years. Hmm. This was a Bible that spoke about suffering and persecution and how it glorifies God and, and what we face, the trials and tribulations we face in this world. And I realized that my faith is the one that was wrong. My belief was the one that was wrong. Hmm. And so I brought this back to the church and, 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 and let my youth group read this book. And, when, and we started as a youth group writing letters to, to uh, prisoners in Russia uh, that was actually published by, addresses were published by different mission groups, including what's now today known as Voice of the Martyrs. And all of a sudden parents came up to me and they were saying, why are you writing letters to Russia? The Russians know where we live. What, what year was this? 1988. Before the Cold War had ended? Uh, same time. Same time. Wow. And the wall had not come down. It was just about ready to come down. In Tiananmen Square, um, the uh, Romanian Revolution, the wall coming down, all happened immediately after. So I had to resign as youth leader. Wow. Uh, which was a big deal. I love my kids and, and the kids we taught, and I, I took it wholeheartedly as a ministry. And I started bringing this to the church. I committed that I would not show up at a prayer meeting without praying for a persecuted Christian. Hmm. So when somebody says, do you have a prayer? I'd go, yeah, I got a prayer. I said, right now, Christians are persecuted in this country, and we should pray for them. I'd read the book called Missiles Over Cuba, which Tom White had written, and he was working for Richard and Sabina Wombrandt, an organization then called Christian Missions to the Communist World. And I, I had started writing to the ministry, and I wanted to hear Richard Wombrandt speak. And so I knew he was speaking at churches around the world, and I wanted to, I started praying I would get to hear him speak before he passed away. For those that aren't familiar with who Richard and Sabrina Wormbrandt were. Can you just explain who they were and what role they played? Yeah, Richard uh, is a Lutheran pastor 
uh, in Romania and the communists, when the communists invaded, he didn't, he did not see it as I need to flee because the communist uh, Russians are coming into my country. He, he viewed it as an opportunity to uh, evangelize. And so his group basically went out and, and printed Bibles and evangelized uh, the communist. And then they were driven to an underground church. They had to meet secretly in homes and in the woods. And he just refused to stop his activities. And he eventually was arrested and served eight years in prison, three of those years in solitary confinement. Mm. Their son was homeless. Uh, Sabina ended up on a slave labor on the Danube for a year and a half or two years of a sentence. Richard was released from prison after eight years and told never to preach again. Uh, and, and he preached again. And they preached in the underground church and started evangelizing again. So they locked him up again, gave him, I think, a 20-year sentence. He served six years of that sentence before he was ransomed uh, out of Romania by a Swedish ministry. Wow. So he's spent a total of 14 years in prison. One of the worst horrific situations you can imagine. And just because he loved Christ and was going to speak about Christ, he was going to evangelize. And he loved his enemies. That was really his whole message. Mm. He loved his enemies. And Sabina, the same. And she spent two years in, in labor camp and suffered greatly under the communist. And she believed her husband was dead. You know, mm. she was told he was dead. But she just always hung on to hung on to that last ounce of hope of a miracle that, you know, he was still alive and would come home someday. Yeah. And he didn't, he didn't want to leave Romania. Um, they, they offered $10,000 to the government to release him. At that time, I mean, that'd be like paying a million dollars today mm. um, that they'd raised. And he, he actually didn't want to go. He wanted to stay. And the underground church said, no, you have to go because nobody knows what's happening to us. Mm. So you have to go and tell the world. And that's why he came to America and started a ministry. Mm. He, he, he wanted to be their voice. He wanted to tell their story. Um, it was a different story. You know, we knew Romania from the Olympics at that time from a famous gymnast that won the Olympics. And he was like, what about your persecuted brothers and sisters? What about those in prison? What about those dying? What about those, you know, serving Christ in chains? Yeah. He would say his chains they used as musical instruments to sing unto the Lord. Mm. So he brought this message that was so foreign to America that they were they were closer to Christ in prison than they were in Sunday morning church mm. in America. And the American church, you know, received him and received the message because he was authentic. It wasn't some American preacher saying, we need to do something different and talking against prosperity. He was a man who served 14 years in prison and talked about the glories of being, of being, in, being in communist prisons, but being with Christ and winning his torturers to the Lord. Yeah. So his, his story is recounted in the book, Tortured for Christ which is very important in to, in, in to the ministry of Voice of the Martyrs and to my personal testimony because that was the book that changed my life. As a teenager, I had so many friends whose lives were transformed by attending a Worldview Academy leadership camp. For many of them, it was the highlight of their summer because it was such a spiritually engaging experience. And today, Worldview Academy's mission continues. If you have a student between 13 to 18 and you care about equipping them with biblical truth so that they're prepared to stand firm and engage with the culture, then Worldview Academy is what you're looking for. Worldview Academy's week-long summer intensives cover topics in apologetics, servant leadership, and evangelism, 
all while building deep friendships with like-minded students. Your student will engage with 25 hours of interactive teaching, addressing questions like, how do I know that the Bible is true? Does God really exist? Who defines what is right or wrong? And what difference does that make in my life? Since 1996, over 42,000 students have called this one of the best weeks of their life. And with 18 summer intensives all across the country, there's certain to be one near you. Learn more and get 10% off your student's camp registration as a Compelled listener by using the promo code COMPELLED at worldview.org. Register for camp today at worldview.org while spots are still available. And remember to get 10% off using the promo code COMPELLED. If you like to stay up to date with current events, then you'll especially appreciate another podcast I enjoy called The World and Everything in It. It's a daily news program, about 30 minutes long, delivered every weekday morning by Christian journalists from around the world. And they aren't just rehashing the current headlines. They're actually doing investigative, boots-on-the-ground journalism while providing biblical cultural analysis. I started listening to their show about five years ago when we first launched Compelled. And since then, they've become one of my go-to sources for understanding current events from a biblical perspective. But they pull no punches. In fact, they tell the facts just as they are, even when it requires sharing uncomfortable truths. Maybe that's why they're one of Apple Podcasts' top 100 news programs. Join me and thousands of other Christians from around the world who listen to the world and everything in it. Just search for The World and Everything in It in your podcast app or visit WNG.org. Um, I remember specifically, so now I'm like 25, 26 years old, and I said, God, I pray that I meet this man, that I hear this man speak before before he passes away. Um, it's in 19, uh, 1989, and, and I said, I don't really have enough faith to meet him, so I'm not asking you for that. I'm just asking that I get to hear him live in person speak. Because I had read all his books, I was writing to the ministry, I was sending them money, and I was also I was always asking them, when is he going to speak? Where is he going to speak? But he was never anywhere near um, Maine. I remember they sent me tapes that weren't released of his preaching, hmm. and it, it was so bad quality. It's not like all this nice equipment that Paul has here in front of us. <laughs> and I remember just squeezing the headphones to my ears to to hear what he was saying. And of course, he had a Romanian accent, so I really didn't get much out of it. And just to clarify, I mean, this is 1989. This is before the internet really is. Oh, I think at I all. got a Walkman. You a know, Walkman. I think I got a cassette tape and a Sony Walkman. Uh, I wrote letters. Uh, I was on their mailing list, so I got Richard's uh, letter to the donors. You know, I mean his his newsletter, and I would I would read that. I would come home from work, uh, so I take half my my lunch break to drive home and check the mailbox and see if it had arrived. When I knew it was around the first of the month, hmm. and I would start reading it. I'd go around and uh, I'd leave work early because I always worked overtime. I'd leave work early and I would read it cover to cover every day hmm. when it came in. It was only six pages back then. But I was just fascinated by his writing. It was just so foreign to the life I was living in Maine. Yeah. Did anyone from the organization reach out to you? So I had Tom. I had Tom White uh, come to Maine and speak. And I uh, prayed about it. And they asked me if I wanted to sponsor a speaking tour. And so I did. I spent my life savings uh, at that time. I took Tom to three or four church meetings. I set up 
events at schools and at different uh, hotels and different venues. And we had a back-to-back, what we call, you know, nor'easter snowstorms and dumped 20 inches of snow on us that four-day period. Oh, man. And... Nobody showed up. Oh, uh, man. It was like eight people, 10 people, 12 people. I had a sound system. I had a worship band. I had everything. And it just... And no one I showed. Ne- I, never, I never even took an offering. I oh, mean, because it, it would have been... It would have been too pathetic to pass a basket to 12 people, of which four were us. Um, and I had like a book table with hundreds of books on it. It was... Oh, man. It was, it was the uh, most humiliating point uh in you know in this world completely humiliating uh when tom finished his last meeting i said i said man i'm sorry i i said i just apologized and he goes he goes what for and i said just it was such a failure these meetings were such a failure i said i am sorry i had you get on a plane come all the way to maine i said i should have just sent you all the money i spent on these meetings and just given it as an offering he goes, no. He goes, you never know what God's going to do with the small things. Hmm. So he goes, you don't know what God's going to do with this. Hmm. And I said, yeah, but it's pretty depressing right now. So I went home, went to bed, and uh, I stayed in bed for 24 hours. Oh, man. just to get out of bed. I was completely depressed. And I went to, the next time I showed up in church uh, was a Friday night Bible study. And the pastor of the church, uh, the church that was kind of against everything I was doing, he walked up to me with his checkbook in hand, and he goes, how much did you lose? And I'm like, what? He goes, I heard not many people showed up at all the events you sponsored. How much money did you lose? And first of all, the questions, I think the way he phrased it, if he would have come up to me and said, we'd like to make, a, the church would like to make an offering to what you did and you can send it to the ministry, I would have said, great. But mm. when he asked me, how much did I lose? I didn't look at it as money. I looked at it as, what did I lose? What did I really lose? Mm-hmm. If you take out the money equation, I lose sleep, I lose time, I lose, what did I lose? You know, and I said, I didn't lose anything. And he looked at me, he goes, no, no, I you know, heard, because people had joked about how bad the meetings were. Hmm. And he goes, I heard you, you know, lost a lot of money on these events, and I had spent about $3,000, which was a lot, a lot of money to me at the time. And I goes, no, I didn't lose anything. And he asked me one more time. He asked me three times. And I said, nope. So he was kind of frustrated. He goes, okay. Put your checkbook away. Like, if you don't want my money, I'm not going to give it to you. Mm-hmm. I remember turning around, and I looked up, and I pointed up, and I said, all right, God, now you owe me. I give my debt to you. Um, which, again, I don't recommend that, but yeah. I just, it seemed a little disrespectful. But I literally gave my debt to God. Mm. And if anybody was going to repay me, I wanted God to repay me. Mm. And that's, that's it. That's how it happened. A few months later, I got a phone call, and this mission called Christian Missions to the Communist World wanted to hire me. They wanted to hire you? Yeah. They the wanted one... me on board. Wow. Uh, Tom White, who had come to speak, had been appointed uh, director, and they were moving the office to Oklahoma, and they needed a staff. Yeah. And I was employee number one uh, at the new organization that would be known as Voice of the Martyrs. Wow. Um, so God did. God did take the debt and multiply it. Uh, so in 1990, I packed up my bags and sold my house and uh, left my job, left my church, and moved to Oklahoma to to work for Voice of the Martyrs. Wow, that is an amazing story of how you got there. Uh, what what um, what happened when you showed up? Well, when I went to work for Voice of the Martyrs, uh, I didn't I didn't meet Richard. 
uh, yet. But one of the first things I noticed is that, so now, you know, 1989 has happened. So communism has crumbled. I'm working for an organization called Christian Missions to the Communist World. My friends are laughing at me. I left a good job. I mean, I was offered to to be a partner in the company I was working for. And um, for, for, for a kid, I was making upper income. Mm. And I took a, you know, my pay was cut more than in half to go work for Voice of the Martyrs. And uh, so communism was crumbling. And so we changed the name to Voice of the Martyrs. But nobody had really heard of us. Mm. So one day, and, and I'm a little bit of a wise guy, which I apologize for, the, I went into Tom White's office, my boss, and I said, we have to change our name. And he goes, what are you talking about? And I says, well, it's called the Voice of the Martyrs. And he goes, yeah. And I says, but no one's ever heard of us. I said, our voice, we don't have a voice. I said, why don't we call ourselves the Whisper of the Martyrs? Because no, one, no one's listening hmm. and we're not talking. Yeah. I said, nobody knows and we're not doing anything. You know, We're not shouting from the rooftops. So uh, instead of firing me, he, he said, all right. He goes, well, you do something about it. Um, and I, I said, what are you talking about? He goes, go advertise, go advertise the voice, go be a voice. Mm. So he gave me a small advertising budget and I had no idea what to do. I went out, I bought some ads and, and I advertised the book, Torture for Christ. And I said, you know, Christians are suffering for their faith. And, and I put it in charisma. I put it in the Saturday evening post and one other publication and, I was very naive and I expected, you know, 10,000, 20,000 people to call uh, based on the circulation of the magazines and set up phone systems and people to work. And, you know, nobody called. Hmm. Uh, I think we the first call that day was a wrong number. Oh. Uh, and I was depressed. Yeah. I had spent 8,000 on those ads. Hmm. And, we were, and it was a very small ministry. And I was the one that said, we need to be a voice. And I was the one that wrote and designed the ads. And so I had to take responsibility for it. I'm 26 years old at the time. And, and so when we, got, when we received no response from the ads, uh, I was completely depressed, mm. uh, just like I was when nobody came to the meetings. It was the same thing. And, uh, I, and I quit Voice of the Martyrs. You quit Voice of the I Martyrs? I said, I'm quitting, I'm done. I said, I'm, I'm a failure. Nobody responded to the ads. I wasted $8,000 of donors' money that they gave to help persecuted Christians. So I said, I'm quitting. I told my wife I quit. And uh, um, I went outside and started mowing the lawn, and I just believed I heard the clear voice of God that said, if I can't trust you to lose $8,000, how can I trust you to lose a million? And it was very w weird to hear that. Hmm. I knew it wasn't my thoughts. I didn't even know what a million dollars looked like at yeah. that time. And I'm like, what do you mean lose a million? You know, my eyes bugged out. I'm like, who wants to lose a million dollars? And then it dawned on me that everyone's willing to succeed for Christ. But how many of us are willing to take a risk where hmm. we can fail for Christ? Wow. When we watch a football game, the quarterback or the running back uh, points to God when they make a touchdown. But what do they do when they fumble? Hmm. So, you know, the, we create a God of success. Yeah. So we want to thank God for our successes in our lives, but we create a God that says, if we serve God, he'll make us winners. All that is, is us being prideful. Oh, look, I'm special. God just blessed me. Yeah. Well, if you can't give your failures to God, then you're really not giving God credit for your life. Yeah. 
So I realized, I said, all right. I said, I'll be willing to lose a million dollars, which means I'll be willing to risk someday in my life. Now, you remember, my advertising budget is $8,000. I make $20,000 a year. I live in an $18,000 house. And that's where I am at 26 years old. And I have to be willing to lose a million dollars. I have no idea what that looks like. Yeah. I just said, okay, I'm in. So I didn't quit. I kept working. I kept... The mission started growing. We actually did learn how to bless people. We, instead of saying Christians are suffering for their faith and you need to know about it, we said Christians have a, Christians who are suffering have amazing courage and they can, they can strengthen your faith. So we did learn how to bless people the right way. Mm-hmm. And the advertising budgets grew and the ads grew. And after five years of working on staff, I wanted to do videos and books and TV shows, and I just wanted to do everything. And um, the Voice of the Martyrs allowed me to go contract so I could, they weren't ready to do all these things, but I could do them with other ministries Mm -hmm. if I continued consulting with them and doing marketing for them. So I worked on staff from 1990 to 1995. In 1995, I went off on my own and started a marketing company to, to help other organizations grow. And I wanted to write books, and I wanted to do videos, and I wanted to, you know, do conferences and do products and do all kinds of things. But my heart was always uh, to promote uh, Voice of the Martyrs and the persecution of Christians. And I became very close to Rich and Speed and Wombrand. I traveled with them uh, for a number of years. When I left VOM as an employee, Richard Wombrand was you know, extremely upset with me. And he didn't talk to me for a year. Um, <laughs> and I would, I picked him up at the airport and, and he would call me and he'd get mad at me and he'd say, why did you leave? Why did you leave? And, and I just said that I just had this big vision that was bigger than the size of VOM at the time. And it didn't mean I was any less committed, but I said, I said, pastor, it's the same thing. You know, you left Romania and now you help every country. Why don't you just help Romania? I said, maybe the Romanians feel the same way about you. Yeah. And he put his hand up and he goes, enough. We will never discuss this again. <laughs> and we became closer from it. It was an amazing time from, from praying every day for a year that someday I'd hear him speak. To They, they ended up adopting me as their son. Hmm. So every time I visited, I had to stay in their house. I always had to be at their Bible studies, at their... If there was an event that I went to, Richard always cleared the seat next to him, and I was assigned to sit next to him at oh, wow. any single event he had. Even if somebody was in that seat, you know, Richard would tell them to move. Um, wow. I would be like, no, no, I would just sit in the back. But he just said, no, you're... He brought me to a place of honor. It's not anything that I deserved or requested. Hmm. But he always wanted me by his side, and he wanted to talk to me. Um, I sat by his bedside for hours and days on end when he was bedridden for a couple of years, I carried Sabina Wombrand out on her deathbed. Hmm. Uh, in a, she was dying of cancer, and I carried her in a blanket um, at, at, at her insistence. Summer is here, and so is the chance to take a breather from school. And there's a decent chance that the subject your student is most excited to take a break from is math. But it doesn't have to be that way, especially if you're using CTC Math. Their focus is helping your student learn at the pace that's best for them. Every lesson is fully online with interactive questions and clear explanations. And their video tutorials take difficult concepts and break them down into digestible ideas. But here's the crazy part. They have a 12-month money-back guarantee. 
That's right, you can use CTC Math for an entire year. And if you don't like it, or it didn't work out for you, or if you're just unethical, which as a compelled listener, I hope you're not, then you just shoot them an email and tell them that you'd like your money back, and they'll gladly refund your entire purchase, no questions asked. There is literally no risk for an entire year. You can't beat that. Because their heart is to serve your family. That's why they sponsor Compel, so that we can continue creating stories that will bless and encourage your family. And they want to do the same for your students' math needs. So whether summer is a time for your student to catch up, keep up, or move ahead, CTC Math is there. Learn more at ctcmath.com. Again, that's ctcmath.com. You love Christian testimonies. Otherwise, you wouldn't be listening to Compelled. But imagine if you could enjoy Compelled stories from Christians throughout the ages, including those who've already passed away. Well, that's what our friends at YWAM Publishing are doing through their Christian Heroes book series by retelling the incredible stories of Christians like George Mueller, a man of prayer who ran an orphanage for 10,000 children in England who trusted God to miraculously provide food and shelter for those orphans, sometimes on a daily basis. Or Elizabeth Elliot, whose husband was murdered by the Aka tribe in Ecuador, but chose to forgive and move in with the tribe to share the gospel with them. Or Brother Andrew, who during the height of the Cold War smuggled Bibles to Christians behind the Iron Curtain, all under the noses of communist border guards who could have imprisoned him for life or worse. These are the types of stories that YWAM Publishing is printing, and their books are written for kids ages 10 and above, but frankly, adults love them too. They've published 50 of these biographies so far, and we just partnered with YWAM Publishing to bring you five of my favorite stories. These are the Christians that have inspired my faith and millions of others for decades, which include the three testimonies I just mentioned, as well as Corey Tin Boom and Amy Carmichael. We're calling it the Compelled Christian Heroes Bundle, and I actually worked with YWAM to select these five specific stories, and they agreed to drop the price in half just for Compelled listeners. So it's $30 and includes free U.S. shipping. To buy this bundle for yourself or to give to a friend, visit compelledpodcast.com slash YWAM. That's the letters Y-W-A-M, compelledpodcast.com slash YWAM. And trust me, if you love listening to stories on Compelled, you're going to love reading these stories too. I met you at the Christian Worldview Film Festival earlier this year when you were showing the movie Tortured for Christ. Can you tell us how that film came about? I went to Voice of the Martyrs and I said, I'd, I'd like for the 50th anniversary of the ministry, I'd like to do a docudrama on the story of Tortured for Christ. So they agreed to let me do this. They agreed to let me hire a production company and a staff and, and go out and, and make this movie. So we hired a company and we hired a professional scriptwriter and they wrote a script on the life of Richard Warmbrand. And they sent it to me and I read it and I hated it. Hmm. And and maybe I knew the story too well. Yeah. Like, this, Richard wouldn't like this. Yeah. You know, Richard and Sabina passed away. Um, and they would not like this. Um, you know, in all in all fairness to the scriptwriter, that's probably a perfect script mm-hmm. for the ministry and for the life of Richard Warmbrand, but I hated it. And I just prayed and I and I remember getting up, I I'm a night person. I tend to work at night. And I get up really early in the morning and I and I picked up Tortured for Christ and I said, I'm just praying. And I'm like, what 
what am I going to write? I mean, what is the story about? What is this docudrama going to be about? And I said, well, I'm going to reread the book that changed my life. And I reread Torture for Christ. And as I read it, the script just bounced right off the page. Hmm. And I just started writing it. I just wrote it. I wrote it out. In, I mean, I wrote it out in a matter of a couple hours. Hmm. And I wrote a script that followed that book. And I entitled it, uh, Tortured for Christ, Richard's Last Sermon. I said, if Richard were to preach one more time in church, what would he say? Hmm. Richard wouldn't say, hey, God brought me to America. Hey, what do you think about persecution? Uh, that's not what Richard would do. Richard would just say, they beat us and we love them. Hmm. And show he would contrast the beatings and the beauty. Hmm. He would contrast the hatred and the love. He would contrast the work of Satan and the work of Christ. Yeah. And so that's the story I wanted to tell. Yeah. And so I rewrote the script or started over based on the book, Torch for Christ. And that's why I called the movie Torch of Christ. And we actually went to Romania and went into Richard's prison and recreated the story. His actual prison. His actual prison. And yeah. you filmed right there. Filmed in a solitary cell. Wow. It's still there. And we miraculously got permission from the government to go in there because it's not open to the public. Wow. They said, and we found a back lot that had Bucharest from the 1940s. And I remember, I remember being asked, what is the most important thing you need in this back lot? And we've got a budget. we got so much money to work with. And I said, snow. And they said, snow? And I said, yeah. And they said, it, it, it actually doesn't snow that much in Bucharest. And I says, well, you asked me. So mm. that's what I need. I need snow. This is a huge back lot. We're not going to bring in snow. And the night before we filmed, we had eight inches of snow. Eight inches of and snow. This, and the entire filming is snowing. Wow. The entire scene that we take place in Bucharest is snowed. And it was just, you know, my heart just lapped. I was like, God gave me snow. That's what Richard writes about. It was in the snow. It really was a highlight for me to go from praying to meet the man to, to being in his prison cell, uh, making his movie. So we made the film. It has no interviews. Uh, it's not like a typical docudrama. And it just is really, I believed Richard would be honored by it. Mm. It would be his last sermon. This is what he would have said if he would have walked into an American church and been told it was the last time he could ever speak. This is the story he would have told. Ironically, this is the first story he told when he wow. came to America. That, that, is, that is just crazy. We released it for one night only, and it was the highest grossing film of that night in America. Um, and people were, were very, very impacted. So I, I mean, I hope by the time this podcast comes out, there'll be a way for people to watch the movie if they haven't seen it. Yeah. How can people learn more about the movie? Uh, I'm sure if there's a URL that they can go there to. There is a website called torturedforchrist.com. Awesome. We'll make sure to include a link in the show notes. Uh, Steve, I know that sometimes you refer to yourself as a media missionary. Uh, what role do you see film playing on the mission field? A lot of the unreached can't read. So yeah. we need media films in their language in all the languages, but the studios have all the films locked up and you don't have rights. You know, they sell their worldwide rights and you can't just go produce one in Spanish or Portuguese or Mandarin or Arabic, you know, without permission. Mm -hmm. So we need films that are free to trans translate. Then we need films that are free to distribute. Um, you can't charge the missionaries for these. You can't lock it up on Netflix of, you know, of, Me of Mexico or something. This, these films gotta get out for free. So, they need to be the right film in the right language, and they need to be freely distributed. And we realized that that was, a, that was the secret sauce to making a big impact. That's exactly what the Jesus film did. That film was free to the whole world, and it was in the right language, and it was interesting, and it was a scripture. 
Yeah, you're you're totally right. And and actually on that same vein, I know that one of the other films you're working on right now is an adaptation of The Pilgrim's Progress for the mission field. Uh, why did you specifically choose to make that film animated? Culturally relevant is not just the storyline, it's also the world in which it lives in. Yeah. So animation works very well because it lives in its own world. And uh, and it's very easy to dub because yeah. we don't have huge lip sync issues. Yeah. And the characters are, you know, they're international. I can do anything I want with them. It's not, I don't have to base it on Liam Neeson. You know, I just create an animated character and I can let him voice it. Yeah. So we can use known voices and we can create our own characters. So it translates really well to the mission field. So we started that film and then we started shopping, raising money for it. And I knew nothing about the film industry. I literally didn't know anything. I just knew I went to movies. I didn't know what they cost. I didn't know how they're distributed. I didn't know what you know prints and advertising was. I didn't know who the players were. I just said I'd make a movie and people would buy it. Mm. And you know, people asked me. They said, "Are you going to be rich because you're making a movie?" You know, I'm hope so. You know, probably because <laughs> the answer is no. Because ninety five percent of movies lose every penny that's invested. And but I realized that it wasn't about the money. I just really felt God leading me again that my life was dedicated to serving persecuted Christians. And that means that I work in 50 countries hmm. and I work with uh, communist and Muslim and Hindu and terrorist nations. That yeah. was my life for, and still is, still a, a huge part of my life. But I also realized that I, I have two kids that are millennials that are disconnected from uh, church today. It's a different generation. Now they're bombarded by social media and Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, text. Uh, everything's instant. And they don't read as much. Uh, and I realized that the mission field starts in our own homes. Yeah. And so we say we work on, we say we work on the front lines of missions. The front lines of missions starts with my 25-year-old son. And when I started making films, he goes, he goes Dad, I like these. I want to watch these. These are not cheesy Christian films hmm. with a cheesy Christian message. So the film is almost done. We're going to show our donors a rough cut of the film probably around Thanksgiving. Wow. And the distributors are furious that we want to do this. Yeah. But we're about, we're about ministry first. We made a commitment that we would never make a film that wasn't free to the missionary. Hmm. We're going to go on a, on a private tour through the fall, through the first quarter of next year, and then we'll be in films in March. I will be in theaters in March. Wow. And, and how, how long have you been working on Pilgrim's Progress now? Three years. Man, three years. And, and what's the other film project that you're working on right now? So the next project we started is we're doing an animation of the entire Bible, the entire biblical narrative. And what I discovered when I started this project is we actually don't have a visual Bible. We have visual Bible stories, but no visual of the Bible as one story exists. Hmm. We had a Pakistani, um, I met with him twice now, and he's a missionary to the Taliban wow. in Pakistan. Wow. And I told him, I said, I'm doing this animation of the entire Bible, and I showed him uh, episode one. Uh, I asked him, I said, what do you think? And he said, he said, you don't know what you're doing. I'm like, well, it sounds like something my kids would tell me. <laughs> and he said, you don't understand. He goes, he goes, the Hindus put tens of millions of dollars into producing animations and spreading it all throughout hmm. the region, including Pakistan. They put it in Hindi, Urdu, Farsi, Arabic. 
And all throughout the region, they're broadcasting animations of Hindu gods. Mm. Their audience is huge. Well, you know, there's Christian satellites in all these countries. We can broadcast freely into all these countries. Mm. We just need the content. Yeah. So he said, if you do an animation based on the Bible, he says, you'll be the answer to our prayer. He goes, we pray every week that somebody, that the Christians would do what the Hindus are doing hmm. because the Hindus have great success at it. Hmm. He says, "Why not? how come the Christians are not doing animations of the Bible that translate like this? And he goes, we pray every week as a group of men that somebody would do this. He goes, if you produce this series, you'll be an answer to our prayer. Hmm. And I'm like, God willing, and with the help of others, we'll, we'll, we'll do it and you can have it for free when we do. Thirsty souls are there. What's missing is the content. Yeah. And so we're, we've set out on a quest to produce an animation of the entire Bible. It'll be 18 hours long, broken into 50 episodes. Somebody asked me, they said, uh, are you the right person to do this? And I said, absolutely not. Um, I believe this 50 people, 500 people, more qualified, more funded, bigger organizations, you know, there are a hundred organizations out there, Christian organizations that have a hundred million dollars a year in budget. Let them do it. You know, this is an $18 million, $18 million project. Why would I want to do it? Mm -hmm. um, I just believe God's called me to do it. As we're wrapping up, are there any last thoughts that you'd like to share with our listeners? You know, you told me before we turned the tape on that the name of the series is, is Compel, right? Yeah. And that it's about what God does. So, so you meet interesting people, but, uh, but I realize the story is not about an interesting person. It's about an interesting God. Yeah. Because he did things in my life that, you know, what I didn't share with you is that I had a speech impediment and I could barely talk. I couldn't even be the own, my own MC to my own meetings. I mean, all these things that um, we were the least capable. I had no idea how to schedule a meeting. Mm. Uh, we bought ads. I didn't know how to buy ads. Uh, we did posters. I didn't know how to do posters. I did typesetting. I mean, I, I was the least qualified of anybody to do this. I mean, even reflecting on it now, 30 years later, I mean, it really was what God decided, what, what God chose and graciously did in my life. My life was nothing interesting to it at all. Um, but the events that happened are extremely interesting, but I don't own the events. Yeah. I'm only a player, just a willing vessel. I'm the guy in the Bible that has one talent, but I didn't choose to bury it. Yeah. I just choose to give it back to God to multiply it. That's awesome. That's awesome. We've been talking with Steve Cleary. Steve, thank you so much for joining us. We appreciate it. Thank you, Paul. I enjoyed it. I love the point that Steve makes about God using the least qualified people to accomplish much for his kingdom. It's encouraging to hear about all the unique ways God has used Steve from working for Voice of the Martyrs to producing films for the mission field. To learn more about Steve and his current projects, visit revelationmedia.com. You can also learn more by visiting our website, compelledpodcast.com, and searching for this episode. There, we'll include direct links and trailers to the Pilgrim's Progress movie, the animated Bible series, and of course, the Tortured for Christ movie and book. We'll also include a link to where you can download a free illustrated companion ebook of the animated Pilgrim's Progress movie. And of course, we'll also include a link to a Facebook thread where you can join the conversation about this episode. If you have questions or feedback, we'd love to hear them. Just leave us a comment on Facebook. 
Again, you can find all of those links at our website, compelledpodcast.com. You can also find more episodes of our podcast at our website or by subscribing to Compelled on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Overcast, and many other podcast platforms. New episodes are released every Tuesday. If you've enjoyed our show, then there's something else you could do that would really help us out. Tell your friends and share this episode. Or even better, leave us a review and a five-star rating on iTunes or wherever else you get your podcasts. Your encouraging words help others find this show. Our show was edited by Zach Fowler, a gifted film editor, visual effects artist, and storyteller. You can find Zach and his work at ZachFowlerImagery.com. Our logo was designed by Josiah Jost, an incredibly talented logo designer. You can reach Josiah and view his work at SiahDesign.com. Our website was created by Ben Billups, a digital developer extraordinaire. You can follow Ben on Instagram at Ben.Billups. Special thanks to my wife, Sarah Hastings, for helping make this project a reality. Without her, this podcast wouldn't exist. And that's it for this episode. Stick around after the music for a sneak peek at our next episode. Our guest will be David Gibbs, president of the National Center for Life and Liberty. He was the attorney for Terry Schiavo, a woman that the American legal system condemned to death. Her crime? She was disabled. You'll hear directly from David and his perspective on how God continues working through Terry's death. I'm your host, Paul Hastings, and you've been listening to Compelled. We'll see you next Tuesday. There was probably the most indelible moments in my life were watching um, Terry die. And like I was in there with Mary, the mother, the last time she'd see her daughter alive. We went through um, searches that would be more akin to going into a prison. No cameras, no phones, nothing that could document what was happening to Terry or provide support for her. And then walking in, there's armed law enforcement with one simple instruction, arrest the mother if she does anything to keep her daughter alive. One last thing before I go. If you'd like to meet up this year in 2024, I will actually be on the road for a few events, either speaking or exhibiting at some conferences. I am still nailing down all the details, but already I know that I'll be at the Texas Homeschool Convention in Fort Worth from April 18th through 20th, the other Texas Homeschool Convention in Houston from May 30th through June 1st, the Home Educators Association of Virginia Convention in Richmond from June 6th through 8th, and there's also the chance that I might be at some other events in Louisville, Kentucky and Nashville, Tennessee later in the year, but we haven't finalized those details yet. If you live near any of those locations, then I'd love to meet you. You can also see our latest up-to-date calendar of events at our website, compelledpodcast.com events. And I hope to see you there.